0: If you're an adult amateur horse lover who wonders what it takes to make magic with horses, you're in the right place. I'm Paige Lockton, and this is the Magic of Horsecraft. Join me for conversations with wizards in the world of horsecraft about the ingredients needed to build connection with horses and courage in life. Turns out these things are connected. How do I know? (laughs) Like most things, I learned the hard way. I lost the magic I once had with horses. In regaining it, I discovered that the elements of connection are learnable. Whether you ride your horses forwards, backwards, or sideways, stick around for stories that show us how we are the same and that anything is possible. Take a chance! Welcome to the first episode of its kind in Season 3, an episode where I invited others to join during the recording and followed with a Q&A session. This episode is with Carmen Theobald. The um, Q&A section is not included in the general podcast, but it is there for those who were present for the recording and for my paid subscribers and the people in my course and my community. So if you would like to be a part of this, You can join recordings. You'll find invitations at themagicofhorsecraft.com and on all of my socials. You can find out when I'm doing the recordings live, show up on Zoom, ask your questions and bring another layer to the learning. Without further ado, I will introduce you to today's guest, Carmen Theobald, a good friend, a mentor. Co facilitator. Uh, She is a farrier and a maker of magic with horses on a grand scale. Carmen works from her farm with her partner Aquila at Horse Sense North in Magnetowan, Ontario, where she does life coaching and trauma recovery alongside horses and um, is a really phenomenal human being that you should know. You can find out more about her in other articles I've written on my Substack. And now, let's get right into the podcast. Thanks for joining me.
1: And I just want to mention too, like, Paige, I'm so excited for our chat and doing this recording for the podcast. And I am the most excited for the Q&A. So um, I really hope that you stick around and participate if you want to in that, because I look forward to chatting about whatever questions and direction you want to take this. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it'll it'll be um, really instructive, um, especially as I'm a bit tangential, and you might steer me back to some things you think um, could have used some more unpacking. Um, So we are indeed recording, and um, I'm going to start this off now just with acknowledging my um, privilege of being here on this land, Nipissing First Nations, recognized under the Robinson Huron Treaty in 1850 um, and that I um, identify as she her and um, that we are entering into this discussion with um, open hearts and open minds um, ready for some growth because when we talk about boundaries and horses we need to be prepared for some growth and I say that as someone who's needed it <laughs> myself so um I wanted to just uh have a little intro about how Carmen and I know each other and why I called her the boundaries queen which I think when I texted her that she maybe thought oh that was she, she gave me sort of the thumbs up Haha, boundaries queen and maybe didn't expect to see it in print I'm not sure Carmen <laughs> that's true I thought it was fantastic and and I acknowledge how she's like oh that's that's kind of awkward but I've got to tell you on how many levels I know Carmen and why that has sort of been proof in the pudding for me so um Carmen and I go back at least 10 years as um farrier and horse owner um but then I discovered she had done some training with someone I had read about and really admired. Um, And she's fully certified. She is a master EponaQuest um, facilitator of all the things you can master facilitate with them. And it is a very comprehensive program. So Carmen um, is, if you don't know her, um, a, a life coach. She helps people uh, develop clarity and courage and connection through largely horse-based activities, either online and in metaphors with horses and learning, or in person. And um, I had then the pleasure of getting to know Carmen on other levels. So um, I became a student of Carmen. She became a mentor of mine, and. Um, Then I worked for her on several different levels. So we facilitate things together. Um, I also work with her husband and her horses on her farm and we're friends. And when you are interwoven on that many levels over that many years, the best way to keep a really great relationship is to have at least one of you be very strong. Um, Strong is the wrong word because I want to emphasize something later that boundaries can be can be soft. <laughs> um, but somebody that has very good boundary setting skills. There's there's so many levels that Carmen and I are interacting on. And um, I wanted if you'll indulge me that little story Carmen about the horse at the first interactive horse thing I went to of yours in Aurelia, Because that's a good example of of boundaries. So Um, I, uh, I think this discussion is exceptionally important, um, under a a few lights in order to make magic with horses. Um, and indeed, I know that anything we do with our horses spills over into the rest of our lives. And I know it because I've struggled with it, which I think can be Um, hard for people to grapple with when they look at the pictures of the horse jumping and of my size and my general volume, um, that there was indeed, at a certain point in my life at least, a great big mask up and um, real problems with boundaries and having had my own transgressed for quite a few years. That showed up in an arena with Carmen and a small group of people and in a very safe space. Um, I had a horse approach me and with all of the things that should elicit good communication and boundary with a horse, I walked in there with the body language of someone who is very confident. (laughs) I stood there and looked at that horse and I was meant to have an interaction that looked like respect with a horse in freedom in an open area and um, the horse started to approach me and I thought I was doing pretty good. And as it came up to me, it started to go past me and I kind of relaxed and cocked my hip. It showed how relaxed I was. And as it passed me, it did a little bit of a, at me, totally disrespecting me in my space. And I, I was shocked. But as we unpacked it later, um that wasn't a horse that had issues being respectful of human boundaries that needed some training or tuning up (laughs) that horse was showing everybody something and and what what was that showing that was lacking Carmen
1: oh goodness (laughs) well you know that's I think really something I'd rather you put in your own words because it was your experience. Yeah. What was that horse showing you, Paige?
0: Well, I had, um, an inability to comfortably set boundaries and create a respectful relationship with that horse because in my core, it could feel, I didn't feel worthy. I was nervous. I was masking in front of these people and, um, I, I, I wasn't bringing the ingredients that I needed for another being to really give me respect. And that was showing up in all of my relationships. Um, so we, that was when we first started working and training together in 2019 or earlier. And um, since then, I have um witnessed Carmen use her abilities to set respectful boundaries with me as an employee and um overstepping boundaries and and in every case I just felt I, I went from knowing there was a difficult conversation coming and expecting what I knew from my history to oh <laughs> Being very relieved that we'd had a respectful conversation and um, it brought us closer. So, Carmen has taught me, she's used some sayings that stood out that um, boundaries are love. Um, she was really recently interviewed in the um, work Schiller podcast, Journey On podcast, and he was like, She's just commented on how soft a person she is outwardly, that that softness can be used to command respect and create boundaries. And this issue is coming up again now because I'm sitting in the middle of um, sort of two camps and trying to understand how to mesh them. And that is what people are thinking of as... Mm old training techniques that involve um, pressure and release or negative reinforcement and there are people very strongly in camps to only use positive reinforcement and um, with it I find the big-hearted people in the camp of saying only use positive reinforcement and that's sort of treat-based clicker training kind of things and um, that they, this may be a blanket statement, but they're often people who lead with their heart, maybe their boundaries have been transgressed and their horses become a little bit dangerous to deal with. So I, I think that done well, this new way of new, new to horses New way of training horses in the realm of positive reinforcement and in uh, methods that I know Carmen uses with her horses done well is phenomenal. But without a strong core of self-worth and boundaries and a way to communicate that, that isn't violent. So in in this group now, if we're looking at horses through... um, a more compassionate lens as a sentient being and if we want to get away from punishing them and being violent and hitting them hmm, how do we set boundaries if in my past i've gone hey and smacked them because you know horses kick horses and we accepted that and if we stop accepting that and say is is there a better way? Is that ever okay? How, how do I create this relationship of mutual respect that I'm looking for without using some sort of Stone Age power tools of the old coercion techniques that um, that I grew up with uh, and indeed used? So that's how we, we got here. I was having discussions with um, friends and clients about how to make their horse safer to be around because it didn't respect my, my bubble, but I, I was not going to hit their horse and we needed to figure this out. So then I said, Hey, Carmen. (laughs) So, um, with that, I, I will shape a, a bit of a question to Carmen and, and hand the reins over. Um, with the question of boundaries and um how it is you you think that boundaries can be love and softness is that true
1: <laughs> well before i jump into that enormous question um i just want to say first of all thank you so much for having me back on your podcast and to those of you who are not listening live, I'm so glad you're tuning in. And to those of you who are here right now, it's such a pleasure to be here with you. Um, and whether you're here with a horse background or not, whether you're interested in the horse perspective or not, I think that this topic of boundaries crosses all species, especially when we're talking humans and horses, at least from my lens. So I I think that everything that I'm going to be sharing and learning from you as well and kind of going back and forth in this conversation is is always applicable to no matter what background we're talking about Um, because it all kind of comes from the same core principles. And to me, that's all about relationship, relationship with ourselves and relationship with others. And I'm going to come... back to your question, or maybe even ask you to ask it again in a moment. Um, But I think that the main thing is how are we showing up in relationship with ourselves? And that's going to have complete influence on how we're able to show up in relationship with others, especially when it comes to the topic of boundaries. And so can boundaries be love? Are they an expression of love? I believe they are when done well, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and even when they're not done well, maybe we still have the intention of love, but we're really struggling. They can also not be. They can be something else entirely, you know, and I think that the, I'm not going to try to define boundaries completely in this because it can, it can be such a massive topic, and we all need to feel respected and heard and seen and supported and safe. really comes down to safety. So can we allow boundaries to help us create the safety we need so that we can actually show up more, more fully, more wholeheartedly, have the ability to connect with that sense of safety. And that goes both directions, whether we're talking about horses or humans. So are we able to also respect the boundaries of those who are interacting with? Because if it's a one-way street and I'm the only one who's clearly communicating, even if it's with tremendous skill, the boundaries that I have But I have deaf ears when it comes to the boundaries of others, human or horse or cat or dog or whoever that might be, then of course my boundaries are not going to be listened to in the same way. Maybe they will be at first, but it won't stay that way. So its I I don't think this is a conversation that we can have just in a silo of like, this is how you set a boundary, A plus B, Equal (laughs) C. Because it's really a conversation about relationships and how are we showing up with a lot of awareness of ourselves and others and being fluid with what the moment requires of us. So, for example, with horses, I'm going to have a very different style of boundary for the horse that is walking softly over to say hello, but maybe I don't want them kind of nuzzling so much that they're pulling on my zipper but with kindness and just some sweetness, I'm going to set a very different kind of boundary with them versus the horse that's coming charging over at me. And I'm going to set a very different kind of boundary that with the horse that's coming charging over at me with intent to harm versus a test to see what I'm made of. Because they're really just looking for safety. And I think both situations, that's still the case or all situations. There's always that sense of safety that beings are looking for. And unfortunately, some of those tests can come through with um, some dangerous parameters. But nonetheless, there are different feelings in really finite nuances that are going to shift how we're able to show up in the moment, horses and humans, with both strength and kindness, with power and gentleness. So it's not can we set boundaries with the softness it's can we set boundaries with strength and softness at the same time so I think a lot of the boundaries topics need to really invite us to hold multiple truths at the same time
0: at the um core of that there are a couple of things that I heard and one was the showing of the other being that we are entering a relationship with um, not just a boundary but that each one is seen and heard and that's interesting to me because we don't often show how a horse's boundary has been seen or heard and um I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how on approach to a horse we might show them that we hear them if they show us some body language as opposed to just doing our usual grab the bridle you know grab the halter tack them up and rushing through.
1: Yeah so Again, humans and horses, so much of relationship building and the foundation of the relationship is built on the smallest of moments. And I think we often look to these big examples and go, well, this happened. It's like, yeah, but what about the million other things that happened first? What about the moment that you drove onto the farm, if we're going to stick with horses for a second, the way that your car pulled in? Were you kind of pissed off and driving with a little bit of an edge because your horse is going to tell that? Did you park in a frantic, stressed way because you're short on time? Or did you drive in with a sense of groundedness and calm and being mindful? And how did you get out of the car? And it's not about a judgment of us. It's how, how are we actually feeling? And if we notice that we are in that stress state, that we were going to be driving a little bit more erratically, or if we're getting out of the car and kind of slamming the door, or, or feeling like we're rushing everywhere, it's not a judgment, but it's really important to notice what's going on, and then do something about it. So do we need to take some quiet breaths in the car before we actually get out? Can we practice some regulation tools to help our bodies calm down and get to a sense of deeper calm and safety before actually even going to the paddock at all because by the time especially if the horse can see us but I would even argue before they can even see us because it's amazing we're learning more and more all the time about how much they're sensing that's beyond the five senses that we're quite aware of but if we're going to keep it really tangible right like if they're just seeing us walking toward them can we walk in a way that we're joyful to see them we don't have to be perfect right but can we can we approach in a way where we're authentically feeling some sense of gratitude appreciation joy happiness that we get to be with them right now and whether we're doing that in our horse relationships or our human relationships are we showing up with this sense of like i actually get to spend some time with you right now even if it's to have a difficult conversation it's like okay we get to have a difficult conversation we get to show up in this moment together and do our best to communicate and to understand each other and to have a more connected relationship. Mm. So as I'm approaching the horse, getting their halter, going to do whatever, can I have that attitude about whatever that horse time might mean? Whether it's a horse that I'm really struggling with, whether it's a horse that's usually easy and fine. I don't want to take that for granted, right? Really showing up fully in the moment, as much as possible, and catching myself when I'm not in those moments, not with this like punishing noticing, but just this noticing of like, oh, okay, good to know, (laughs) good to know. And now that I'm aware of that, I can take a little pause and recenter and try again. So what does that look like with horses who are trying to set a boundary with us? Um, The horse that doesn't wanna be caught, that's a really important boundary. Not to say they should just never have human contact again. But are we chasing them around? Or are we inviting them to join us? Are we noticing those really subtle little moments where an ear flicks towards us? And we can create that really kind invitation for them that it feels good when they are paying attention our way. Can we create a lot of that positivity? Or if we're actually near near them and we're about to put their halter on, can we wait till they're actually seeking us versus forcing our presence on them? Mm. All the way to, you know, horses who are really screaming their answers, horses who are more likely to bite or push into us or, you know, swing their butt around and maybe threaten to kick. Those are really big, loud messages that they're saying After they've already said so many things, not necessarily with us, right? It could be in their relationships with humans on the whole, could have been lots of reasons, but no matter what, there's been a lot of experiences that those horses have had that have diminished trust, diminished a sense of safety or taken it away completely. And so then when we get upset with them for those reactions and we don't take into account the parameters around it, we're just reinforcing their belief that they don't actually have a sense of safety with people and they should never trust us that's not to say let them bite us but it's that that opens up the door to like how can we then set boundaries with them with compassion for what they're going through Mm. so there's a big difference for me between seeking out the horse's attention like going to want to put their halter on versus protecting our physical body so that we are not in harm's way and then at the same time doing it without anger yeah right can we actually say no you're not allowed to bite me and that's absolutely part of the no no column of our relationship but I'm not going to tell you no as though you're a bad horse as though you're crazy as though the your responses don't make sense I will still validate emotionally, energetically for them of like, I hear you. I get it. You're angry. And I believe you for really good reason. Even if the horse over there doesn't agree, maybe they're less sensitive than you are, but it's not a fault of yours. Maybe that's actually a superpower, but you haven't been recognized for that. So fair enough. I would be angry if I were you too. And you're not allowed to hurt me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Boy, there's a
0: lot to unpack. Um, One thing that stands out before we get into maybe what it might look like to defend our own boundaries, I'm still thinking about the things that might stop us from needing to. So if on approach to our horses or going to put a halter on them and we're holding the halter up, that sort of thing, um, we pause and recognize that they're saying something as opposed to continuing our approach unpaused, it makes a big difference. So Carmen runs an exercise regularly in her workshops, and it jives also with um, an exercise that work Schiller does. And essentially it is on approach. Um, every time you see a sign that that horse is noticing you, whether it's an ear flick or a turn away, or you just pause and breathe. Let them know they've been seen and then approach. And lately this has been very interesting for a little mare in our barn. And so when her ears are back and she's making faces, I'm saying, no, that's not just her. She's not just like that. She's telling us her history and she's telling us she doesn't want to now. So when in the past, I would have just been like, you get over here and you stick your nose in this halter. And I would show people how to manhandle them into a halter. Like, come on, the horse has got to get his halter on. Now, as I lift the halter to her, if she does this, I go, "Hmm, I see you. <sighs> what about now? And I offer it again and given the freedom to say no, Sometimes she likes to say no a few times in a row. (laughs) I'm I'm giving her the choice. I'm like, okay. Sometimes that feels really vulnerable. Like, am I ever going to be able to halter a horse again? (laughs) And then I go, I see that. I said, but you know, what about? And she put her nose in it. She's been seen. She's been heard. (laughs) She feels validated. I'm like, oh, there's something to it, work, Shiller. Way to go.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So and I- I'll add to that too. If I, do you mind if I jump in here? Oh, So I'll add to that too. It's not just about seeing their responses because it's, it's a really important starting place to notice that. But then it's more than just noticing because a horse is not going to seek us out and want to be connected with us and be not only willing partners, but like actually excited to be with us. If, we don't also have that sense of grounded strength that we are embodying simultaneously. So it's like, how can we create a deeper and deeper sense of security and foundation in who we are so that as we're noticing these things and that the horses are saying, as they're saying no to us, we're not having that ruffle our feathers because I can notice it and go, They don't want to be with me oh my gosh they're rejecting me you know and if i can instead go that's cool how about now and not with the pressure either of like that's cool but how about now (laughs) right so finding that middle path allowing that pendulum to swing if it does for us because it's normal and understandable we're humans and it's also not our fault that we have these responses, both connected to our human experiences, as well as our horse ones, if we're in the horse world. A lot of the horse world reinforces a lot of really harmful behavior and thoughts and beliefs. So when we are looking at our past behavior, whether we're looking at, you know, how we've navigated challenging situations, and if we're starting to shift our our, our view on this, to have tremendous compassion for ourselves and that experience too, and getting that actually helps us get closer and closer to that place where we can just be in the moment and go, cool, how about this? And have that really solid foundation of whatever is happening is okay. Mm-hmm. Because without that really solid foundation of whatever is happening, it's okay doesn't mean it's what I want or what my goal is, but that I'm not so attached to those because the more important priority for me is my own well-being and their well-being at the same time. And the relationship that we can create together from that place of mutual respect and care for one another. Because everything is, becomes more possible after that. It doesn't matter what discipline we're in. It doesn't matter what we're doing with them on the ground or whatever's going on. It doesn't matter what's happening around us. We Just to give an example of this, we ran a program um, last year for first responders and public safety personnel and military. And one of our horses, his name is Flurry. He is such a superstar with clients. Yeah. When he first arrived here, though, at the farm, mm, I guess it would be like eight years ago now, he had a lot of spookiness in him, um, meaning for the non horse people, he would easily startle or get worried about things in the environment. um it, it, example would be like a plastic bag or anything white would worry him, uh, a stick, you know, like we use these boundary setting devices, or you can call them a dressage crop or a whip or whatever, um, never to hurt the horse or even touch them unless it's like absolutely dire that we're protecting ourselves, which has never happened. Um, But we just use it as kind of like a communication tool. And just the sight of that would make him feel really stressed and tense up and sometimes have even bigger responses. Noises that would come out of nowhere, little scratchy noises, those kinds of things really would send his nervous system, his body, into the state of protection, and he would have all kinds of um, follow-up behavior, whether it was taking a little bit of a a leap or running away or whatever that might be. At this program that we ran last summer, it was such a testament of how far he's come, and it's all because of the day-to-day tiny interaction moments with him. It's not because of one thing we did with training. It's the relationship building and helping him feel safe in who he is and how he's able to express himself and safe in knowing that how we're showing up for him is consistent and also kind, which includes boundaries. Boundaries are part of the kind parameter. So we're at this workshop, this program, and the night before the program starts, and keep in mind, we're working with people, some of them with severe PTSD diagnosis, pretty intense group of humans, amazing group of humans. And nonetheless, there's a lot of energy, a lot of charge. And we get a phone call the night before people arrive that our neighbors are going to be doing blasting across the road. So there will literally be bombs going off across the road because they're doing some project at the farm. We almost canceled. (laughs) (laughs) but it was really important that we didn't because it's so important to honor these people who are coming and it can take a lot of courage for them to actually make it out and do the program. So that was like the worst case scenario for me. So it's like, okay, well, let's just see what happens. So the first morning of this program, there's bombs going off for people navigating severe PTSD. And we usually do human work before the horse work at our workshops. So, In our human experiences that morning, we spent a lot of time practicing regulation tools. So things that help calm our nervous system. And more than that, it's creating this protected space. Myself, the therapist we're working with, Aquila, my partner, where we're all showing up with the same energy that I'm talking about with the horses. Of like, no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. And a person can have a big moment of whatever response their body needs to have, whether that's verbal or physically actually jumping or whatever that might look like, or even having a lot of stress and like needing to vent or, or however that might show up anger and to be really solid in the place of that's fair and it's okay. And I do have boundaries around things that are still not okay to do to me, but it's going to be fine. And having that that kind of energy. I'm coming back to Flurry here in a second. So the morning goes incredibly well. Thank goodness, because it had real potential not to. Um, so I'm so relieved about that. And then after lunch, apparently everything was supposed to be finished. So there were no more bombs going off. That also gave us the green light to start the horse work because we would have rearranged the timing of the program. I'm not that happy to just go with whatever because although I do really, really, really trust our herd, they're amazing. I also want to make sure I'm being very safety conscious and that's part of it, right? Are we setting the parameters for success with our horses and with people? But it was supposed to be all finished. So Flurry is the one who comes into the arena first to work with the first person. And the first person who's going to work with them is really scared of horses. And so scared that this person almost didn't go into the ring. And with incredible courage and determination, they went in. And they asked me to go with them, which I was very happy to do. So we're in the arena together with Flurry. And then we hear... The air horn. And the air horn signals that in about three seconds, another bomb's going to go off. So now I have three seconds to mitigate a situation where there's a person who's petrified of horses with the horse who, of all our herd members, has the most likelihood of being spooky, of being startled and making sure that everyone is safe and hoping for the best. Because of all the years of foundation building of trust and security with Flurry, that bomb went off and he did not move an inch. He stood there totally in his role of being a support horse for that person. And it went off three more times. And he was steady Eddie. Mm. And as soon as the person left the ring and we traded places with Aquila and my partner, he's like the horse support person during our programs so that the horses really have someone there to look out for them while I'm more looking out for the people and the horses simultaneously. And when Aquila went in, Flurry knew because they're so incredibly smart that Aquila was safe to let out the stress. So there was not anything happening. There was no explosion happening. But Flurry needed to release the stress just like we need to. And so he ran around and let out a few bucks, but all in a very safe distance, nothing dangerous toward Aquila. And he knew that Aquila could handle it. And Aquila could just be like, okay, cool. Yeah, let it out, buddy. Good, that's a healthy coping mechanism. And how fantastic to also also show our participants in this program what healthy coping mechanisms can look like. (laughs) And then he would shake it off and come back over and he would get really calm and centered again. And then he would look at the next person and be like, okay, ready. And the next person would go in and then more bombs went off and he was steady Eddie again. And then when the person left the ring, then he let out all of his jitters. But that's what can happen when we have that sense of security in who we are in our being. And we're able to share that with others. We can create this contagiousness of whatever's going on. It's okay including noticing that we have a buildup of stress, like, okay, I can handle it. I'm kind of holding the vulnerability muscle, if you will, the weight rather. It's like holding a weight of vulnerability. It's like, okay, this is hard, but I've got this. And then when we're in a safe moment, we can be like, okay, got to drop it and release and shake it out. Take a pause. And now I can pick it back up again. So I think that's the same thing for everything that we're talking about, whether it's boundary setting with humans, horses, or how we're just basically able to create connected, safe relationship, period. It's all the same stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Again, I'm hearing you say uh, how important it is to arrive in this grounded place. And then I was thinking back to when um, the horse circled around me and gave me a little nip and I know now with um, the education we've had around nervous system regulation and heart mass stuff that my nervous system would have been completely ungrounded and you know was breathing into my chest that I wasn't grounded at all although I was pretending to be so yeah showing up grounded and um, mindfully present is so important to the horses and it's um, something that sometimes gets sacrificed when we've got to-do lists in the back of our head, or um, we're in a hurry, or we're, we've are we got some more unpacking to do. And um, I would suggest that um, if you are someone that you know you carry a lot of stress and have um, difficulties being present, that it is overcomeable and um we can talk at the end a little bit about some things that might address that um the other thing that i thought was would be really important to dive into tonight carmen was your formula for effective boundary setting and how that works on approach or if you're being approached or the approacher um, is that something you could walk us through now?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so this is not my formula, but it is one that I use frequently and it is, um, developed by Linda Kohanov, who is my mentor and colleague. She has Upon a Quest Worldwide, um, where they do a lot of different kinds of horsework similar to what we do. Zona so with her over the course of multiple years to, to do this. So um, although I said it's not an A plus B equals C situation, and it's not, (laughs) there is a framework that can kind of help guide us a little bit to have a bit more clarity and access to boundary setting. And so I really appreciate this from Linda, and it's three steps. Um, So the three steps are commitment, crescendo, and immediate positive feedback. So I'll kind of break those down a little bit. So the first one is commitment. So if we're wishy-washy in ourselves, <laughs> we're not really sure if we should set the boundary, if we can set the boundary, if we can handle what happens when we set the boundary, if we are worthy of the boundary. If we're not grounded in knowing that all of those are going to be okay and that we are worthy of that boundary and it's actually really important and being just solidly grounded in now is my moment to set a healthy boundary. If I can stand committed in that decision, everything else becomes so much more possible. But if I'm a little bit off on that, it's going to make it harder. Not impossible. We don't have to be perfect to do this. But it's just going to make it easier and easier, the more committed we can become. The second is crescendo so I'll use a horse analogy or example here if I have a horse coming toward me again maybe just walking but maybe this is a horse I don't know and um, although I really do want to meet and interact with this horse I also want to establish that like I do have a little bit of a personal bubble space and I want to meet them out here and not wait till their nose is right in my face unless I really sense in the moment that that's the right thing. But a lot of the time, I do want to say hello, kind of by shaking their hand or offering them a little sniff versus letting them kind of walk right into my body. And so I'm going to start to set a boundary with them from a distance. I don't want to wait till they're right here because it's kind of too late. And I think that's where a lot of us get tripped up with boundaries, humans and horses. We wait till it's so escalated or till it's kind of right on top of us and we can hardly breathe metaphorically or physically. And that's when we start to engage in the boundary setting. And it's not that it's too late to start because it's never too late to start. We should do it no matter what. But it is too late to do it really effectively and smoothly. We're going to have more bumps in the road when we wait. So it's a lot more um, easy when we, it's a lot easier, I should say, when we have that space to have that communication because from a distance, I can say, I can already start to communicate with my breath, visualizing, kind of getting, being clear in my mind's eye and in my energy field of like, this is kind of where my stop point is. And I'm going to ask them cre- with a crescendo. And what that means is kind of going from soft to loud, like we're turning up the volume dial on a stereo but not auditory. So it's not about getting big and loud. It's about escalating or raising the volume dial of our power center. And that can have the same volume the whole way, like auditory volume. But I can increase the kind of power that I am putting into it, the power center, the sense of strength that I am engaging, even through breath, Even And it's amazing when I do this kind of little exercise with people on the farm, um, people can really sense it when I do it in two different ways, where it's like, I'll just set my boundary and go, okay, stop, versus stop. And even on a screen, maybe there was a sense a little bit of the difference, right? Because we're really embodying more of that grounded courage, more of that grounded confidence, if you will to be able to step into our power in that moment and actually ask for what we want and insist on it happening. And that can be a very, very slow and steady. It might have to just be a dial at volume one because the horse is super aware and tuned in and they're like, cool, I'll just wait here. And you're like, amazing. So thank, thank you so much for hearing me and good to meet you. And other horses, they're like, I heard you but I don't really believe you. (laughs) And others might be saying, I heard you and I believe you, but I need to test you because actually my need for safety requires me to see if you're listening to me and able to dial it up. So it might be one, two, three, four, whatever it might be, but I'm not jumping one to 10. And I think that's really important to note, right? I'm not going, here's my boundary. Why aren't you listening to my boundary? (laughs) Right? There's a a steady, increase of ask that makes sense to the moment so horse that's walking toward me softly and calmly that steady increase of ask is going to be kind of at the same steady calm pace if i have a horse that's charging me that increase of ask is going to be a quick (laughs) dial-up to make sure that the distance that's being um traveled by that horse i still have time to respond and it's going to make sense for the energy and the speed that they're bringing to me. And I think this all applies to humans too, right? Like if someone's rushing in, we can dial up our need for a boundary and execution of that boundary more quickly versus if someone's kind of encroaching on us a little bit more softly or subtly or slowly. Um, now, of course, human boundaries, are that's a big topic because it's not just about saying this is my physical space. There could be lots of meanings for that, including boundary setting for ourselves, right? What does it look like to have healthy boundaries with ourselves about the self-talk that we might have about the behaviors or patterns that we might be engaging in? Can we engage in the same kind of kind, make sense for the moment boundaries with ourselves? And that's going to help us with the horses. That's going to help us with our relationships with other people. So step three When we actually get the response that we're looking for, not when the horse is still just kind of walking along and ignoring us. And we're like, okay, that's good enough. And I'll give you the positive feedback, (laughs) but actually increasing the ask so that they actually do what we're asking. And immediately, as soon as they start to give us a little bit of that response of like, oh, is this what you're asking? Yes, it is. Thank you. Right? So immediate positive feedback. And so often I see this with people, with horses, we ask for our needs to be met. And then we kind of go to neutral or even a little bit of like a resentful thank you. Because it's almost like, why did I have to ask in the first place? And I'm not saying that there's not a place in time for that, because I think some relationships and dynamics, when you get to that point, that's also good to know. (laughs) But when we're building the relationship foundation, getting to know each other, and especially with horses or kids or with ourselves, To really have such compassion and kindness of like, no, this is understandable that we might have struggled in this and that's okay that I had to dial it up maybe beyond my comfort level, but I can right away go to that place of appreciation for you listening to me and doing what I ask. So making it really inviting for them to keep doing what I'm asking and making this relationship feel really good when respect is part of the conversation. So I, you know, I think there's lots of ways to play with that, integrate it, and it can look a million, billion, gazillion ways. Um, but that core framework, I, I really see that being a pretty consistent thing. Mm-hmm. And many of us, especially in our human relationship with horses too, we will do a lot of that what we call the two, 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 ten phenomenon. So we're kind of asking a one, asking at level two, and then we get into the zone that we're pretty uncomfortable in it's uncomfortable to step into our power. It's vulnerable. It's uncomfortable to kind of be really honest and forthcoming of like, actually, that's not okay. And this is what I need. And I'm asking you a little bit louder now, not necessarily auditory, but it could be, right? Because I do have needs that need to be met. That that can be hard. And so instead of swimming in those vulnerable waters, a lot of us, myself included in the past and occasionally still today when I'm really not in a good place, Um, you know, we'll have that two, 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 because we're kind of stuck at that level of asking that's sort of comfortable. But inside I'm going, what the hell? (laughs) Why is this not working? (laughs) Why do I have to keep asking? But for the other person or horse or whoever it might be, it's like a breeze. It's like, well, obviously that doesn't mean anything because it's the same thing over and over and over again. And there's no change So I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And then we're getting more and more frustrated, boiling up, boiling up more and more inside. And then 10. Mm -hmm. And that lashing out of 10 just destroys the relationship trust. Not that it can't be rebuilt, but it takes time. And it's understandable that our horses or people struggle with us after that after those lash outs, because it's like, well, where did that even come from? Or like, that wasn't deserved, or that wasn't appropriate for what was happening. And there's just a, a huge communication breakdown. So again, if that's our responses, if we're kind of looking at ourselves and going, oh, geez, I do that, or I've done that, or whatever it might be, I hope that there can still be tremendous compassion, because it's also not our fault. We don't have a lot of this well role modeled. It's hard to develop these skills in a society that is pretty broken when it comes to this stuff. We have a lot of examples of it done badly, not well. So it takes determination to actually choose to learn a different way. And that's part of what made me so excited to connect with you and chat about this, um, because I just I love how boundaries can change that and working with ourselves and with others to really strengthen that muscle, so to speak. I just want to mention too, and this is kind of connected to what we were chatting about earlier of like, well, how do I actually have the horse want to put their head in the halter or do whatever it is that we're talking about? And how I was saying, it's not just about the awareness. It's also what are we doing with it? How we can show up in that place of like that grounded confidence of that's cool. How about this? That includes our ability to set boundaries. If we don't have good boundaries with the people or horses, not just for the sake of having a boundary. It's not to just practice of willy-nilly and that's going to make it better. But when we actually have a need in our body that our body is saying no, that there's something inside of us that's going, this is not okay, this doesn't feel safe, this doesn't feel right. When we override that, and I think this is very connected to the experience that you were sharing, and I'm so grateful that you did talk about that. Um, when we suppress that, when we mask that inside and outside, We are creating a sense of instability and lack of safety with the other being. So for example, the horses, they're actually picking up from us that we're not matching. We're not congruent. Our inside is not matching our outside. They're picking up that our blood pressure is a little elevated. Our breathing's changed, right? Our energy's kind of moved up into the upper quadrant of our body. And they're going, that doesn't feel as safe to me. What are you hiding? What's your intention? Versus if we just showed up and go, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm figuring it out. And thanks for your patience. Like they have a totally different response to us as do healthy people. I'm putting that little caveat in because I know that with some people, there can be a maliciousness involved sometimes. And I don't want to underestimate that. Um But when we have safe relationships and we show up that way, people actually go, oh, great. I feel safer with you (laughs) because we're just showing up authentically as who we are. And the horses just want that too, because they're always showing up authentically as who they are, whether we're listening to them or not. So when we have that need of setting a boundary, when our body is coming through and going, something doesn't feel right, I actually do need a little bit more breathing room, physically, metaphorically, whatever that might mean and we do follow through and set the boundary, the horses go, not only do we make sense so we feel safer, but now we actually have the strength that they're looking for in another being to feel safer on a bigger scale. Because if there's a threat in the environment, and they can push us around, and they can sense that our in inner truth, the most inner part of us is going, I don't like that. I don't feel safe. Even if we're going, it's fine that you're playing with my shirt, but inside you're going, I don't really want you to do that. Right. And if, if they can tell that we're overriding that and we're not having that healthy sense of presence of who we are, then they're not going to trust that we can actually help them stay safe. If there were, let's say a pack of wolves that showed up because they're like, well, if I can push this girl around, then she's definitely not got my back. So it's really such a gift to the horses and to the people when we can show up with that kind of grounded confidence and that strength and kindness at the same time. I think it helps everyone feel safer.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's um, a gift to be around someone who is healthy and comfortable about setting their boundaries. It does just make it so much easier. You, You don't have to wonder about what they're thinking or take care of them. <laughs> they're going to take care of themselves. Um, I'd like to focus a little bit on some horse related stuff, although it does always spill over into the rest of our lives. And um, I wanted to speak to um, a few things about, one, what it looks like when um we're working with horses at your place, Carmen, with boundary setting devices. So I wanted to maybe describe it a little bit in how that might look to um, use what is commonly known as a dressage whip, which we try to reframe into calling it a boundary setting device, although it's the same tool because um, we are not using it to strike at the horse or hit them, but um, we will use it to uh, draw attention to the bubble we want around our bodies in a bit of a, like a big pointer around us to make the bubble around our bodies as large as we would like it to be. um, And to move it in a way that brings the energy up from one, like. Carmen said to crescendo from a one a little bit of a movement to back up your whoa I'd like you to stop now and then to escalate the energy and movement behind it until it creates a barrier that they will want to choose to stop in front of they're not going to want to move through um, that boundary setting device or whip which is moving at ground level not up by their eyes um, sweeping typically in a pattern back and forth in front of our feet. Um, and so we have been, um, using them here when we go out to catch the horses and stuff. And it wasn't a tool that we used all the time, but then I found we are unable to, um, keep them at a distance that feels good. Now we're maybe pushing on each other. And, um, I can say that when I work with Carmen's horses they are absolutely consistent because um, she's used the tools consistently and her horses know what to expect. Maybe I'll ask her you know why but uh, ask Carmen rather why her horses show such reliable um, respect to someone's boundaries but uh, if um, I had to I had to guess, I would say that when it goes wrong, say in boarding stables, it's because everybody that is interacting with the horses has a different way of showing what a boundary is and reinforcing it, a different idea of what respect looks like, or their owners themselves are maybe really inconsistent. Um, so if if we were in a situation where Um, We need to stop a horse in a doorway. Maybe we've got our boundary setting device um, and it needs to not come over top of us. And whether it's a horse or any other being, if we are um, regularly unwilling to go up the scale to a 10 and, and we kind of go, no, and we don't mean it. And they get to bump into our boundary setting devices or whatever without it really causing much of a a stir or certainly not deterring them, will be dulling them and making them more dangerous to be around, even if they're just walking through a space. Um, And if we aren't afraid to work in this full scale and to dial it up to a point where I think if they ignore the clearly stated boundaries, we've brought our energy up, we've used um, our voice maybe whoa we've used a boundary setting device and if they keep coming we aren't going to lash out at them and hit them should it be comfortable for them to run over our boundaries Carmen how can we make ourselves uncomfortable so they choose not to do it again
1: (laughs) what Mm -hmm. might that look like Kind of two two pieces for this that are important for me to share. One is the tool is just a tool. So if we're not using the tool with the breath that is going deeper into our body, if we're not kind of filling out our space of our physical self and even beyond, as we're using a conductor's wand, so to speak, whether, no matter what we call it. I, I, I love that analogy of a conductor's wand. Um, yeah, we call it boundary setting during our workshops, in part because we're working with people who usually don't really know a lot about horses. And I don't want to be asking them to be really asserting themselves and saying, horse, go do this, <laughs> because they're just not at that point in their relationship. And that's great. That's fine. And, and the horses have a very important role that's different. Um, but when I'm working with horses in a more training capacity, And helping some of our herd members integrate into their life and their roles here, which includes showing up for the clients, um, I really do need to be using these tools like a conductor's wand. But just like a conductor for an orchestra, right? If I'm kind of hollowed out in my body and I'm not really breathing and I'm not feeling it, (laughs) and I'm just kind of moving the tool, (laughs) that's not going to be as effective. I mean, I could be working with some amazing musicians who are just like, well, We'll do it anyway. And there are some horses like that, too. But if I'm working with horses or people, musicians or whoever, who need a little bit more support, and I'm actually trying to help them get that flow, get that musicality going, get that timing and the rhythm all just so, I have to really feel it in myself. So, so much of it about the tool is what's going on within us. And so that's why I always bring it back to what's going on for us. And that's part of why there's such incredible teachers for us to do our own personal work, because they just highlight our areas of struggle, but with kindness. (laughs) They're not judging us for it, but it's also very revealing of like, oh, okay, there is a learning part for me. Oh, okay, there is a roadblock for me that I have to do some more development with than, you know, just working through the challenges there. So I always want to say that first because I think this is so much more important than anything that comes after because the rest is just mechanics. But without the kind of felt embodiment, it's it's not going to work. So that's number one. Number two is... And I can't remember exactly the framing of your question, but is it okay for them to walk over us? No, never. Just like it's not okay for anyone else to, right? We deserve to feel respected and be respected. And not because of this like dominance hierarchy thing, but just because we're a sentient being, we're alive. And we deserve to have the respect of that just like they do. And so in the way that we set our boundaries them, if they're coming rushing toward the door, for example, we have a similar barn set up, we have a big sliding door, the herd can all access it right there. We have a very orderly and calm entry, sometimes evenings are a little bit more excitable, but it's never dangerous, and I'll touch wood here, um, because they have that consistent interaction all the time where I have rights to my physical space to feel safe, just as they do. And so if they're coming rushing over and I'm a little concerned, I'll just set my boundary further out. So I think a lot of the challenge is that we wait till they're too close to actually have the effectiveness of boundary setting without getting into any kind of harm or violence. So if we set our boundaries further out, we are claiming space that's saying this space is the no-go zone because we want to come down and come into this quieter, calmer space as you're entering this barn area. And so I'm going to help you do that by saying, here's a boundary to not keep running. And then when you've had a little breath, then I will invite you to walk and then you can come over. And I can get really big if I have to, not that I have to very much anymore, because again, the consistency allows us to stay at a really soft place. But for a new horse, for example, or one of our horses, Atticus, he's fiery. He's very stallion-like. He's got an incredible sense of humor that not everybody finds funny, but he is hilarious. (laughs) But he's also so powerful. And so he really needs me to go, okay, sometimes I have to go, no, that's not happening right now. And you definitely need to have your big explosive moments, but over there. So that's cool. Do you, but Over there, because my safety is also important. So I'm not telling you that you're wrong. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't have all the feelings and and energy that you do. Great. But you're going to learn how to have it in a safe way for our relationship. And he appreciates that because I'm not controlling him. I'm just controlling my space and saying, this is what I need when you're close to me. So go do you. Cool. And when you're ready to change gears, come on in. And he loves that. And he responds so well to the point where just with breathing nine times out of 10, I can do what I need to do in asking him those, those things or for those things. And he's respecting it. Um, So I think when we're, when we're struggling with that, more space is the answer, asking sooner and consistency, consistency, consistency. So if we have a horse that we need to set a boundary at a level 10, if it's really intense, which is rare, I think if we're actually doing it well, we can usually do what you need to do at like a three four, five, but sure, there was moments where you really have to dial it up. Well, if you're consistent with that and having true immediate positive feedback where you're actually inviting them to come down to a calm space, because it's not like, okay, thanks for doing that. That's great, right? Because now I'm all revved up and I've set the boundary and I'm really worked up. Okay. Well, that's not actually helping them come down. <laughs> and the whole point is to have this sense of calm and safety in our relationship together where it's easy and we love each other because we just get to be who we are together, but in a safe, respectful way. And we can have our moments of excitement, but in a respectful, at a respectful distance, and then come together in a more calm space. So if we're actually wanting them to come to us calmly, respectfully, we have to role model that. So in our immediate positive feedback, we need to actually role model. "Ah, Okay, thank you. And doing our own breathing. We don't have to be perfect. Fair enough. Our, our nervous system got revved up because we had to do some big movement. That's fine. Do the breathing to come back down to a calm space. Role modeling for them at the same time as doing our own work. And then we both get to benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing
0: a lot of things that will be helpful to set us up so that uh, the kinds of situations where our boundaries are transgressed with a horse, say, pushing into us, uh, walking over us or biting us just is less, that much less likely to happen because we've arrived centered and grounded and tuned in. We're paying attention to all the minutiae, we're asking from farther back. Um, but I want to, just before we get into some uh, Q&A um, Troubleshoot a little bit as I'm swapping mentalities towards uh, positive reinforcement training in the line of thought that rather than correct a behavior by punishing it, ask them to do something else, redirect whether it's a dog or a horse, um, redirect their attention. Um, and but is is there ever a situation then where? Um, if they're nipping you, um, while you're shoeing or something where it's okay to give them a smack, um, or are we not doing that anymore? Does that not work as something that will change a behavior?
1: Mm. Okay. So there's two answers here again, because, um, how sometimes things need to be navigated with horse professionals To safely get their job done, potentially in very unsafe environments, may change how I am able to show up or how we need to show up in that moment of emergency, let's say, right? If there's an emergency, meaning, and that can mean lots of things, but just for my role as an example as a farrier, it is an emergency if my body is about to be hurt seriously by a horse, let's say going for a really aggressive bite or trying to kick me. I don't have all the lead up and training time that I get to put into herd members here or horses that people have asked me to help them with, right? Training is different than in the moment with a, a, a really important thing happening. That doesn't mean it's okay to hurt, hit them or hurt them or act violently or aggressively, but it does mean that Maybe it's showing us that we need a lot more time put in before the next visit with the vet or the farrier or whoever that might be to make the experience safer for both the professional and the horse. So I really want to put that caveat in here because as I'm working on a horse, if I don't have anyone around and I'm working on the horse alone and I have a horse who's attempting to bite me and my only way of protecting myself is to put my arm up so that I don't get bit on the back, I will do what I have to do to protect my body. But I'm also integrating a lot of things in my relationship with the horses as a farrier to try to minimize the need for that. So I'm not just going to walk right over and pick up their foot without saying hello. I'm going to still be noticing what their needs are. It's just like, you know, someone going in as a doctor or a nurse and working on a patient, if they can actually take a moment to pause and introduce themselves and ask for consent before approaching and touching the person's body, that interaction is going to go way better <laughs> than if they just walk over as if it's just a, a corpse on the table and start working on them. They're not just a body with a foot <laughs> for me as a farrier. They are a whole being. So can I still interact with them as a whole being and have a relationship? And sometimes my protection of what my body has to do will be a little bit more dialed up because of the nature of the job and the circumstances. A lot of barns don't necessarily have these views and it would be um, impossible to be safe without having responses that are more dialed up than I actually want them to be. And it's amazing what happens when there's long-term relationships with these horses, because when I can have strong boundaries, I'm still doing the same things. I'm still having the three steps of being committed, crescendoing, and immediate positive feedback. So I might tell them, I'm not going to necessarily go and whack them in the face. I hope not. But I can tell them no very strongly. And I do think we still need to have a healthy no in our vocabulary, whether it's in training or in a relationship or whatever relationship. We need our healthy nose. And sometimes those healthy nose have to be more intense than other times. So if I have a horse that was about to kick me, let's say doing their feet, which is a relatively common-ish occurrence, if I'm working with horses that are really stressed or scared or, you know, whatever. And again, that the response is going to be different if the horse is kind of more aggressively trying to get me or if they were scared about something and they were just, they kicked out and I happened to be in the way. Very different responses for me. I really have to know what's happening in the environment as well as being tuned into that particular being. But let's say the horse is actually trying to nail me. Um, to what what I find really effective is actually having them on a lead rope and asking them very strongly to back up. Still not actually touching their body, but asking them very concretely, strongly, intensely, and quickly to back up out of my space and move according to what I'm saying and being very kind of commanding with my energy of saying like, no, that's not okay. Back, 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 go over there. And having some kind of consequence for their behavior that puts me really at risk. And I think that that's the same thing, whether we're talking about a horse at home or, you know, a horse that we have lots of training time with, whatever it might be, there are certain behaviors that do need a healthy, strong no. But the the number of no's in that way that are needed are so little when we have other communication things happening. And also to recognize if they're at the point of doing that, like what other things are going on? So are we not listening to them about all kinds of other stuff? They're still not allowed to kick or bite. But are we really listening to why they were doing it in the first place? Mm. So I know that's a little bit of like a wishy-washy-ish answer, but I'm trying my best to offer kind of the, the truth that we really do need to have both in our repertoire. I'm all for positive reinforcement. I love positive reinforcement. Even in the way that I'm setting boundaries, big boundaries with that horse Atticus, for example, I feel like I'm actually doing it for him in a positive way of like, I'm asking for what I want, not what I don't want. I'm saying, cool, buddy, have your time, but be out there. Okay, cool. Yeah, be out there. And then when you're ready to be in a different space, come on in. I'm excited to see you. And when I do it with that way with him, there's no need for, him to, for me to discipline him with negative reinforcement because I don't get to the point of him actually trying to kick me or me being in the line of fire by accident because I have enough space to be fine. And then when we are together, he knows that there are rules about how I need to be treated respectfully for my physical body too. And I'm going to give him the respect. So I think when we engage in a lot of kind of pushing or hitting or anything like that, not only do I think it's honestly ethically not right, but I believe it's also inviting a conversation style into the relationship. So if I think nothing of pushing away my horse when they get, quote, too close to me. Well, first of all, they got too close to me way before I felt the need to push them away. And when I do push them in that kind of sense, instead of trying something else, like just stepping away, doesn't always have to be them who moves out of the way. Maybe I can just recognize, oh, I missed the moment. I'm just going to move my place now. (laughs) Right. Or instead of asking them with my little conductor's wand and kind of moving the energy in the space and not actually pushing on their body, but just saying, we're going to move over there now. Thank you, right? So I'm actually asking for what I want versus pushing on them and integrating this kind of physical mm, intensity with some negative aspects. When I include that in the dynamic, I'm in a way giving them permission to do the same back. I'm saying this is actually part of our dialogue. Because even if I think, well, I'm the only one allowed to do this, they're like, well, why why would that be? (laughs) That's the way we talk now. You're going to push me around? I'll push you around too.
0: Hmm. yeah it's been an absolute joy to work around your horses and um yeah, i remember the first time asking one of them to step back or something with um Quee in the barn he's like oh page he was mortified to tell me an older person with horse experience but he's like we don't touch our horses here it's like what <laughs> no, they really don't like it is it's energy and intention and they ask for what they do want and uh, they see what's coming as opposed to waiting for it to happen and telling them what they don't want, I think is huge. Um, we could do this all night, but we can't. <laughs> so Carmen, I wanted to give you a chance to tell us how you help people and what you have going on at the farm before we turn over the reins for some question and answers.
1: Sure. So I think we kind of chatted a little bit about it. You know, I think you gave a really lovely introduction there, Paige. Um, But we do offer personal sessions and workshops for individuals and groups. Um, And we also do some online stuff. And I just wanted to mention to your podcast listeners in this group attending our call, um, a couple of things is just kind of some Um, bonuses for being part of this. The first is that I have an online course that's all about kind of self-care, but more than that, it's actually called Beyond Self-Care. Very connected to all the things we're talking about. And um, you can uh, get 50% off of that if you want. And even better, in February, we're doing a live coaching call for a small group um, who are going through that self-guided online course. So maybe Paige, we can follow up with like an email or something and just share those details. And if you want to put that in the um, podcast information, if that's an option, um, Absolutely. we can do that, but it, you can also just check it out on my website and anyone who signs up for that. Um, if you just let me know that you're learning about it through page, then I'm happy to give you 50% off, wow. um, for the next 24 hours for this group here and for your listeners. Um, it'll only be for the, uh, online course that doesn't have the group coaching. Well, thank so, you yeah, of course. And so that's just a, a thank you for being part of this. Um, but of course doesn't matter to me how we connect. Um, it's just such a pleasure to have these kinds of conversations. And um, we do have our farm between Brooks Falls and Magnetowon in the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek and Mississauga nations, part of Robinson here on Treaty 61. And we do our best here at Horse Sense North to honor that and learn about that as much as possible and translate that into action and really take that into our heart as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm just I'm really grateful to be connecting with all these amazing people for human and horse reasons. Um, Because I really believe that when we're doing this kind of work, it's not only helping ourselves, it's not only helping our horse relationships, it's not only helping our direct human relationships, um, but I really believe this helps the world. You know, we're living in a pretty fractured time and there's a lot of pain and a lot of awful things going on. But doing this kind of work with people and seeing how we can create those shifts within ourselves and how that ripples out with others, it just gives me so much hope. So thank you. Thank you, Carmen.
0: Hey, you're still here. Thanks so much for listening. What you think and feel matters. If this resonated with you, please like and share. It truly makes a difference. I encourage you to engage with the content on my Substack account and my socials, all at The Magic of Horsecraft where you can join the discussion and shape the future shows. Tell me what you want to hear more of, or less of, and we'll evolve together as we grow a community of like-minded souls here for the good of the horse. If you're an adult amateur horse lover looking for confidence and clarity in your role of equine steward, check out my course, From Amateur to Magician, Making Magic with Horses, at themagicofhorsecraft.com. Until then, I'm here to remind you of a couple things. One underneath it all we all want the same things to be heard understood and accepted for who we are and to anything is possible take a chance